Okay, so we're getting ready to uh, send the Camp Redstone kids out, uh, but before we do so, and let me go ahead and pull it up, and you can look on your worship guide, or you can look up here if you would like, um, but Rachel is actually going to read our passage to us. We will dismiss them, we will pray, and then we're going to step right into the sermon. So, are you ready? Okay. All right, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. All right. Camp Redstone kiddos, follow. Who do we have? Miss Rachel. We've got Miss Kara. We've got, golly, we've got a whole, a whole host of you guys. Uh, Jen. We got Logan. You guys enjoy yourselves in Camp Redstone this morning. Okay, so if you've got your Bibles out, um, you're going to see a couple of words that we're going to focus on. So get your, maybe your pen, your pencil, or mark up your worship guide. Um, and we're going to work our way through this passage pretty extensively this morning. But these are the only verses that we're going to look at. Kids are gone. Let's open up in prayer. Father, we're getting ready to look back at this passage that you've given us in Ephesians 1. And the truth of the matter is that this one passage has the ability to change our lives forever. And it has the ability to give us hope no matter what we are going through. I've read through it. I've prayed through it. And Lord, I see, I see the glory of this passage. And I pray, oh God, that you would open up our eyes, that you would open up our hearts, help us to see it. And Lord, as I often pray, Lord, may any other word that comes out of my mouth just fall to the ground. And the only things that are received and remembered are the things that are from you. May people see you and not me or Redstone Church this morning. Lord, do your work in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, quick review. I'm not going to go into an extensive review because we have a lot to cover this morning. So we're in Ephesians 1, right? And I'm going to even ask you the three Ps because you know them. So we're right now in position. So position is the first three um, chapters. And we're looking at where our position is in Christ in the heavenlies, um, who we are and what He has done. And then after that, we're going to work our way into practice, how we walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And then we're going to end this series next probably October, November, looking at the protection that we have, and that's the spiritual um, armor. So thus far, we've looked at salvation from the heavenly perspective, and we have seen terms such as saints, grace, um, peace, Father. We've looked at what God's eternal plan is and the fact that He's had a plan all along. We actually walked through and looked at some of the spiritual blessings themselves, exactly what they were. And then last week, we jumped into uh, the terms chosen and predestined. So if you've missed any of that, you can go online and listen to or watch any of those sermons. Now, remember the um, position of who we are in Christ. We see it with Paul four times in these first 14 verses. And remember also that uh, verse number three through 14 was one sentence, okay? And four times, all that he says is just praise and glory, and he's praising God for what he has done. So we don't want to get kind of pulled into the rigor of the words and wordsmithing it too much that we miss the glory that just, it just had Paul just excited. 
you know, to the praise of his glorious grace. So let's go back and let's look at the passage again. And we're going to look at verse number 13 primarily. Okay, look at it. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So let's just stop there for a second and, and let's look at that. Because we don't want too quickly to move into like the, these key words without also seeing words such as, you also. Notice that. In him, you also. Salvation was for the Jews. And we're going to see this more when we get into chapter 2, but the fact that the church of Ephesus is even being able to receive salvation is a big deal. Okay, so this you also reminds me of Romans 1.16 where it says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And then it says, first for the Jew, and then for the Greek, or for the Gentile. And just the fact that we are able to even sit here and partake of the Lord's salvation is a blessing. So this you also is by His grace, in which we should say to the praise of His glorious grace. Okay, but now notice, look at the passage. What was it that they heard? It says that they heard the word of truth. The word of truth that's being referenced in everything that we're seeing in chapters 1 and 2 and 3 is nothing but the gospel itself. So when it says the word of truth, it's talking about the gospel and it's talking about what Jesus says as, as he is the way and the truth and the life. And he says that you'll know that the, tr the truth and the truth, truth shall set you free. So Jesus' sacrifice for us is the word of truth. Salvation, the gospel, is the word of truth. But it's also important that we notice that the salvation came not just because they heard the word of truth, but notice I have it um, in red up here, they heard and they believed. So it's important to show that the, the hearing of the Word of God must be combined with a belief, and that leads us to our truth number one. Truth number one, we're moving through this one pretty quickly, but it's critically important, so I can't overlook it. Hearing the truth of the gospel is simply not enough. Our hearing must be combined with saving belief before we can be saved. Now, if you're new to Redstone, um, that one's probably in your worship guide if you fill in the blanks, okay? So just make note of that. So truth number one, you can hear the gospel, and that's not enough. The hearing must be combined with saving belief. And I say saving belief because if you go look at the book of James, you, know, you had the demons that say, well, we believe, we know that there's one God, and that doesn't matter. You know, the demons believe and they shudder, but it's not a saving belief. It's not a saving faith. They're not coming to the Lord and, and repenting and asking for forgiveness. There's just a head knowledge and an understanding of that these things are true, and that, my friend, is not saving faith. So Romans 10, 9, and 10 says it this way, and most of us know this passage, but it's a glorious passage. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, okay, and believe in your heart, and there's the key. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So this is why you see all throughout Scripture, people would believe the miracles of Jesus, or they would just believe for a season. But when persecution would come, they would go another direction. Or if the teaching was presented that they did not like, and we talked about this last week, because Jesus said some hard things, and they were like, yeah, you crossed the line there, we're out. 
and they went a different direction, and they no longer believed that they no longer followed. Or the glory of this mountaintop experience, the you know, camp that they, you've gone to, or you know, the revival that you've gone to, all of a sudden that's over, and you kind of get back into the mundane, and you're like, yeah, I don't know what that was, but I'm going to go back and, and live life as I did before. That's not saving faith at all. Remember when our former president, and I'm not picking on him, I'm just, this is a great example, when our former president was asked if he had asked God for forgiveness. Do y'all, anybody remember this? This is what his response was. He says, I'm not sure I have. I just go on and try to do a better job from there. I don't think so. I think if I do something wrong, I think I just try and make it right. I don't bring God into the picture. I don't, unquote. That's the opposite of salvation. That's religion trying to do good and pull myself up by my bootstraps. But salvation is just the opposite. With salvation, we give up. We are hopeless and we, we are helpless. And we are desperate for His grace. And we cry out to Him when we realize our help, helpless state. And that is when we receive the word of truth. That's when the gospel becomes so amazing to us because we see all of these spiritual blessings that we've been talking about for the past four weeks, we see all of them encompassed in this one word of truth. Okay, Too much to unpack on one Sunday morning, so this morning we're going to focus on the Holy Spirit's part of that. But the belief and the, you know, the, the confession, they go deep into our souls, and we have a time where we say, no, I believe because I'm desperate to believe. And without this salvation, without this forgiveness, I really do have no hope. Yes, I believe. Okay, so it's a very personal salvation as well. My encounter that I shared with you all a few weeks ago, when it was four o'clock in the morning and I called my pastor, you know, and I understood the gospel, that was a very personal salvation. So when we look and we see here that, you know, this salvation has come to you as well, it's not just this broad global salvation. Jesus wants to make himself known to each of us individually, where we're at, and for us to see our frailty, our brokenness, and our helplessness, and to cry out and believe the word of truth. So when you think about an agreement, when you think about a covenant, okay, give me some examples of the way a promise or an agreement or a covenant is sealed. Just throw out some, a, a couple of them. How do people agree to things? Okay, oh, there you go. There's a ring. What else? Contract, okay, like a signed contract. What, what was this, Sam? Blood, yeah, okay. Uh, contract, what, what else? Handshake, yeah, handshake. Or if we were a kid, you know, you spit in your hand with another guy and you shake hands, that's an eternal seal, right? And, and I was thinking about some of these things. So yeah, with the will, because we're in the middle of some of that right now, there's a lot of legalities and you've got to have these signatures. Um, here's one. With the Civil War, anyone know how the Civil War ended? Has anybody been to Appomattox Courthouse, which is actually a place in Virginia? It's crazy. You've got General Lee and you've got General Grant and you've got you know the, the blue and you've got the gray. And all the soldiers are out on the fields and they're all watching this thing take place. And these two generals, they go in this house and they land, and I've been in this room, they go into this room, and they have a discussion, and at the end of the discussion, they stand up and they shake hands. Somehow, there was some kind of a, um, a, an exchange that took place, but there was no signatures, there was nothing, and after that, the Civil War ended. Isn't that crazy? But that's, that was the seal that was there. 
Yeah, and I do remember like being a kid and like we would like cut our hands and you know the boys would like shake hands when there would like be this blood you know covenant. I do think about marriage. You know, I think about the words um, I do or I will or so help me God. Those are important words. You know, we're look what we're agreeing to there. I remember my wife is not here today. She's actually out of town because if she were here, I don't think I could even tell the story because I would get the look. You know, the look. So like my senior year in college, I remember like I broke up with her, right? And it was because I already had a ring and I had had it for a year and I was going to ask her to marry me. And I understood because my parents had taught me well that whether your intentions are right or wrong, once you ask someone to marry you, it is for life and you stay with them no matter what. And that scared me to death. So instead of giving her a ring, I got her a sweater and some socks and then broke up with her a week later. You know, it was terrible. It was the stupidest thing that I've ever done. But it was this covenant agreement that I understood was the thing that kept me uh, from moving forward in that relationship. The good news is we've been married for 30 years, so it all worked out okay. You know, you think about the tomb, Jesus' tomb, and there was this governmental seal that was over the tomb to show that this is truly a seal. So thinking about this sealing, Okay, thinking about, you know, bringing something to make it official. Let's go back and look at our passage again. Okay, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, here it is. You can just skip over it too quickly. It says you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Seal. Okay, there's a word that's used here. It's frogizo. That's the Greek. This frogizo means to seal, secure, confirm, affix to be true, and to authenticate. Okay? This is what the Lord has done. So listen, church. This is where it gets really, really good. Okay? There's lots of different ways that an agreement can be signed. Some of those include a down payment. But listen to this. When the Lord combines the hearing of the gospel... The word of truth with believing faith, he himself seals this heavenly transaction. That's amazing. And how does he do so? You see it? We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The how is the part that can change our lives this morning. If we will get a glimpse of what the Lord is saying here. There's this amazing, this incomprehensible truth that's our second truth that we're asking that Jesus would just seal into our hearts. And here it is. And again, if you're making notes, this one's in your worship guide. God inserts His holy presence into the actual person who confesses belief in the gospel and in doing so, he seals our salvation with the Holy Spirit. We say it too fast. We, we, we don't take time to understand what is happening here, but this is why Paul says over and over to the praise of His glorious grace. He gets a glimpse and he understands that this is an exchanged life. This is God coming to live within us, that God would come to abide with sinful men. Charles Wesley wrote a song years ago, and it's called How Can It Be? And he says, amazing love, 
how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? And the passage doesn't end with him just dying for us. He comes to abide with us. We become, according to Scripture, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And this is critical to our understanding of salvation and how we live the Christian life. I should have put these up on here and I did not. So I'm just going to read a couple of passages to you. But I encourage you to take your pen and go back and look at these. I'm just going to give you three. Listen to this. Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Jesus Christ now lives in me. Jesus Christ now lives in me. Philippians 2.13, a part of that verse says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It is God who is working within you. And before that, it's saying, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because there's a holy God who has taken residence within you that is not something that you take lightly. Colossians 1.27, just one small phrase. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Just consider the implications of those passages. The fact that God would come and He would reside within us. It's amazing. I don't want to go through too quickly through it. I mean, are you tracking with me? Are you listening to me? Are you understanding what's happening here? The Lord gives us the word of truth. We put faith in what Jesus has done. And in doing so, God says, I'm going to seal this by coming and residing within you and living within you. I no longer live, but now Jesus Christ now lives within me. I have Christ in me, the hope of glory. I work out my salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in me to will and act according to His great pleasure, His good pleasure. That's a holy moment right there. This is different from any other religion that might exist in the world. Just want to hit pause. What's your response to that? Are you seeing this? I'm like, I'm looking at this over and over as I'm preparing the sermon. And I just find myself being like, oh God, can it be? Because if this is true, there's always hope. There's always hope. Any response from the body? I know we're a little unconventional this morning, and I'm okay with that. Awkward's my middle name. Anything? Anybody wants to share? Amen? Praise God? Do you see it? If nothing else, let's just hit pause. You're not on your own. You don't have to live the Christian life on your own. You don't have to figure it out on your own. There is this glorious transaction that has taken place, and with this transaction, the Lord has chosen to make His presence known in our lives. These are just amazing, amazing truths. Okay, now in order to have an understanding of what is happening here, we really need to go back and we need to look at Jesus' words and Jesus' promises that are found in the book of John. Okay, so he said he was going to come back after he ascended into heaven, and the sealing of the Holy Spirit is what he was referring to. So these words will be too small, but you can look it up on your own. But this is John, come on, clicker, 
This is John 14, 15 through 20. He says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. We'll come back to that word helper in a few moments. To be with you forever. To be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. Just more of this heavenly goodness that I am just praying drips into your soul and changes you. That you, when you walk out of here today, you have hope that you did not have walking in here. He is with us. He dwells with us and will be in us. And then he says in verse number 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and get it, grab it, grab a hold of it, and I in you. This is what Jesus was saying. And he continues in chapter 16, which we won't read, and he reminds the disciples, he says, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because right now there's 12 of you or there's 500 of you that are following me you know, around, and that's, that's great, but this is going to be different. My presence is going to be able to be all over the world. When I go away, it's going to be better you know, for you. In Acts chapter 2, several months ago, Sam uh, preached, and he was talking about how the cloven tongues of fire that you see in the books, book of Acts, they were landing on each believer, and how the cloven tongues of fire, they represented the presence of God within each individual believer. And you could, again, kind of skip past that and look at the supernatural that was there and focus your attention there. But the glory of that passage was that God was coming back, that Jesus was fulfilling his promise. He says, I'm going away and I'm going to come back to you. And those cloven tongues of fire were showing this is God's present coming to reside within each individual believer. And it is, as we were looking at the Eiffel Tower a couple of weeks ago, it's magnificent. It's truly magnificent that God would choose to do so within each believer. It's incredible to the praise of His glorious grace. The John 16 passage refers to the Holy Spirit, as it does in 14, as the helper. Golly, I love that word. I don't know about you, but this, this pastor, I need all of the help that I can get on a daily basis. So while we're here, let's just take a few moments to understand ways that the Holy Spirit can help us. There's this great book, and I'm going to read from it in a moment, um, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, and it outlines the various ways in which the Holy Spirit works in our lives. So I'm going to look at this list, and I'm actually going to pull it up here for you. Okay, and it's also in your worship guide. I encourage you to go back, and I put the references in your worship guide as well, so that you can go back and look at some of these. This is the way, these are the ways that the, the Spirit of God helps us. Okay, the first one, the Spirit, He regenerates us. So this is salvation. He convicts us. We'll talk about that in a moment. But the Holy Spirit is there to convict us, convict us when we are doing wrong, when we are um, going against you know, God's will for our lives, or we're doing something that's not um, going to reflect well on Him or bring glory to Him. He empowers us with gifts. Remember this. You know, he gives gifts to us. 
He testifies in our hearts that we are his children. He does that in different ways, and we're going to look at a few of those in a moment. He leads us. One of my favorite passages, and if you've been around me long this year, I I use this like all the time, and I've used it yesterday and the day before. And if you go back and if you look at um, the book of Galatians, you see the Spirit being used three different times. We're told that we are to walk in the Spirit, and then we are told that we are to... Uh, be led by the Spirit, and then lastly it says that we are to keep in step with the Spirit, and that's what the Spirit does. So it's one thing just to walk in the Spirit, but then it's another thing to allow the Spirit to guide you, but then it's another thing even you know, beyond that to pay attention when the Spirit says, you need to slow down or you need to go a little bit faster, right? And this is what our life as believers is, and the Spirit does that. There's just this sense that something's off, something's wrong, you know, I'm moving too fast, or I don't think I should go through this door, or whatever. The Spirit, once we learn to pay attention to the the Holy Spirit, He speaks to us in a way that we can understand, but sometimes it takes a while to be able to hear Him. So anyway, the Spirit, He does lead us. The next one, He makes us fruitful. He bears fruit in our lives. You can't bear spiritual fruit. You don't have the ability to do that. I can put a smile on my face. That, That doesn't mean I truly have joy. Because of the Spirit within us, no matter what we're going through. You know, this was my conversation with my friend, you know, this past week who's gone through tragedy. You know, who said, you know what, in the middle of it though, I've had this crazy joy just because God's presence has been there with me. Well, you can't manufacture that. That's God within us. He grants and nurtures in us resurrection life. He enables us to kill sin back to my Galatians 5.16 passage, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you're walking in the Spirit, you do not have to say yes to that temptation or struggle. He enables us to kill it, to say no to it. He does. You may not get that immediately, but if you continue to walk with the Lord, He will show you that. He teaches you to say no to ungodliness. Titus 2. He intercedes for us when we don't even know how to pray. Romans 8, 26 and 27. Oh God, I don't even have the words to pray here. Speak through me. Pray through me. He guides us into all truth. John 16, 13. He transforms us into the image of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And then... This book adds a couple of more, really one more that I want to read to you. I encourage you, gentle and lowly. You know, I recommend books a lot. Um, if you're going through Ephesians, we're, we're looking at Sit, Walk, and Stand by Watch Benny. You can find that in the weekly, or you can go to Amazon. It's like $4. So that's the one a lot of you guys are reading through that right now, and I'm so glad to hear that. This is one because I have got way too many books right now, and I would not have read it. However, Sam Adams has badgered me to death, and he kept saying, you must get this one, Jerry. So we've been reading some books together, and this is one that I I just highly encourage. So he adds one more. I want you to listen to this. He says, I'd like to add just one more to this list. The Spirit causes us to actually feel Christ's heart for us. This overlaps a bit with a few of the operations of the Spirit listed above, 
but it would be useful to make clear exactly how the Holy Spirit connects to this study of the heart of Jesus. And what I propose is that the Spirit makes the heart of Christ real to us, not just heard, but seen, not just seen, but felt, not just felt, but enjoyed. The Spirit takes what we read in the Bible and believe on paper about Jesus' heart and moves it from theory to reality, from doctrine to experience. It's one thing as a child to be told your father loves you. You believe him. You take him at his word. But it's another thing more real to be swept up in his embrace, to feel the warmth, to hear the beating heart within his chest, to instantly know that the protective grip of his arms is there. It's one thing to hear he loves you. It's another thing to feel his love. And that's what the Spirit does. He reminds us these things over and over. And a few few pages later, he says, the Spirit does this decisively, once and for all at at regeneration, but he does it 10,000 times thereafter as we continue through sin, folly, boredom to drift from the felt experience of his heart. And the, the kind of the premise behind this particular chapter, he's saying that we will fail and we will struggle and Christ is actually glorified when that happens because it brings us back to this repentance again and we can sense his presence and his comfort and his love. The best thing that comes to the Father is when he sees his children coming to him. And we're a broken people. And we will remain a broken people. Hopefully we will say no to sin. In fact, Scripture says, so should we go on sinning that you know, His grace may increase? Well, God forbid, absolutely not. You're missing the whole point if you think that that's what He's saying here. But it does not negate the fact that when we do struggle and run to the Father and the Holy Spirit comforts us and He reminds us that we are His children, that that in itself is truly, truly a beautiful thing. And it is good. And it brings a smile to the face of the Father to see that we continue to turn to Him over and over 10,000 times after regeneration. I love those insights and perspectives. My heart needed those words. Returning to our passage. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glorious grace. Well, here's another word for us. Guarantee. Don't you just love that word? There's a finality that goes along with the word guarantee. We talked a couple weeks ago about our inheritance becoming um, an eternal reality, and the Holy Spirit is guaranteeing that that is going to take place. The word used here is called erebon. Erebon simply means it's a first installment, it's earnest money, pledge, down payment, or as we read here, it's, it's what it says. It's a guarantee. Before I became a Christian, I would do things that were wrong, And I would feel a conviction when that happened, but it was different than after salvation. For example, if my parents were to say, those cookies are for the bake sale, I'm leaving, do not eat any of those cookies. And if I chose to eat one of those cookies, I felt conviction because I know right from wrong. 
if you want to look at it, this is what Romans 2, 14 through 15 talks about, how that God gives all mankind a conscience. So we're without excuse. We know right from wrong. But that's different. When God Almighty comes to reside within us because of our belief in the gospel, that conviction is completely different. It comes with this like internal understanding that by choosing to sin, now we are bringing dishonor to God. But it does something else. That kind of deep-seated conviction that you have after you become a believer, it actually shows that we are His as well. That He lives within us. So yes, one of the assurances that we have of salvation is that we can't continue to live the way that we once did. We're miserable when we do. We can either, when that happens, just wallow in our guilt, or we can do what Paul's doing to the praise of His glorious grace. He's making Himself known to me in a very personal way that I'm not who I was. The old is gone, the new has come. I'm a new creation in Christ. And what used to would not have bothered me, now it just eats at me. Oh God, the Holy Spirit that has sealed me until the day of redemption is making Himself known within me in this moment. I'm going to confess quickly and I'm going to rejoice to the praise of Your glorious grace. I am indeed Your child. I know that I'm Your child because I never felt this before. And I could give you and you could give me example after example after example after we came to faith in Christ of how this has worked itself out in our lives. I had one this week. It was so hard. I was walking and I was praying and the Lord just dropped a passage upon me and reminded me of some just deep hypocrisy that was coming out of my heart where your words were saying one thing, but your, heart was, your heart's intent was really just evil. It was prideful. And I just confessed. And I repented. And it turned into this beautiful conversation I had with the Lord. I'm like, what a mess that I am. Right? God, help me to be consistent with what's coming out of my heart and my mouth. Because when my, my, my heart is saying one thing and my mouth is saying something else, that just reeks of hypocrisy. And God, you hate hypocrisy. And it was beautiful. And it hurt all at the same time. And then afterwards, I came back to this passage and I was like, I'm His. He's residing within me. And I can't get away with that foolishness anymore as I once did. So yeah, one of the assurances of salvation, we realize that we can't stay in that same sin anymore. How glorious is that? It shouldn't beat us over the head. It should cause us to rejoice. And that's what Paul does. If you wallow in your sin and you feel nothing for that except for the same kind of guilt that you did when you stole the cookie out of the cookie jar, well, guess what? That's a red flag. If you just, you're like, yeah, it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's a pretty big red flag. It may be that the Spirit of God doesn't live within you. Or if you are a believer... And if you continue to do these things over and over and over because your heart has become hardened, well, that's a different kind of red flag as well. That is a grieving of the Holy Spirit, which we won't delve into this morning because we will talk about that when we get into Ephesians chapter 4 
But both of those are, are red flags for us. You know, Scripture tells us, and this is not in my notes, I'm just thinking, like, Scripture tells us, examine yourself to be, see if you are in your faith. It says, don't you realize that Christ Jesus lives within you? And it says, unless, of course, you fail the test. That's 2 Corinthians 13.5, if you want to look that up. But in a moment like this, when you're looking at how does the Holy Spirit work within my life, he's saying, don't you realize that Christ Jesus lives within you? Well, how would I know that? Do you feel conviction of sin? Do you repent when you feel this conviction of sin? Do you know when you've wronged God? Or do you not? And if you fail that test, what do you do? You repent. You turn to Christ. You believe the word of truth. You, you, you ask, what is this word of truth? What is this salvation that you all continue to talk about? I need to understand. And Christ himself, cloven tongue of fire, comes to reside within you, and you'll never, ever be the same. You'll never be the same. It's just amazing. I just want to just sit here and just, I'm like, Lord, what can I do? How can I give them a pill that they can just swallow it and understand this is how much Christ loves us and how much He knows us and how well He knows us, that He would come and He would reside within us to the praise of His glorious grace indeed. And that leads to our final truth for the day. Because the Holy Spirit resides within us, we can experience hope and peace no matter what situation we find ourselves in. That's in your worship guide. Because the Holy Spirit resides within us, we can experience hope and peace no matter what situation we find ourselves in. I remember my buddy Adam, you know, he's just, he lost his dad, and there's been a lot of heartache here lately. But Adam and I were having a phone conversation last week. It's hard when you lose your parent. And we just went through that with my wife. You know, some of you all have gone through that recently. You've gone through it with losing of children recently. And, and there's all these, especially with your parents, there's all these, you know, what ifs, you know, I should have, should have called more, I should have done this, and I should have done that. You can second guess yourself to death. Right, But I just remember this one comment where Adam says, I honestly don't know how an unbeliever makes it through life or how they handle death or serious illness or any other difficulties life brings without Jesus. How do they do it? How do you make it? Just the uncertainty of politics and COVIDs and death and sickness and craziness that's there how does any of that make sense apart from god it's a deeper longer conversation that we can't unpack this morning but all of that sickness and death and everything the disarray that we see in the world all of that is a result of sin the word of truth the gospel of your salvation is the only thing that makes all of those make sense and that, that brings a semblance of understanding to them and that gives us hope in the midst of them. Only salvation. There's no other religion that can do that for you. There's no amount of peace that you can find anywhere else. There's no other prophet that's gone before us that would speak these words because there's no one else that rose from the dead, gave himself, and then he comes back to live within us and says this thing that you're experiencing on earth, it's so temporary. 
There's so much big, something bigger and greater and grander, and that is where our hope is. So we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For these light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what do we do? We don't fix our eyes on what we can see. We fix our eyes on what we can't see. What is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. The Holy Spirit enables us to see things that we couldn't see. We have hope. Praise God. It's just true, people. And it's this Holy Spirit within us that enables us to have hope. It's crazy. It's crazy good. And as we close, I've been thinking a lot about just some of the things that are happening within our body. Five weeks ago, I think it was, we had a, a conversation, a sermon talking about sexual temptation and struggle and how prevalent that it is. And I have been so proud of people within this congregation that have stepped into the light, that have stepped up and said, here's where my heart has veered. Here's where my eyes have wandered. And I'm confessing this. Confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. And we've seen people stepping into the light and we're trying to figure out you know, what the next steps are for that. And we've been seeking counsel, trying to figure some of those things out. We don't have all of that together. But whether it be that or it be some other struggle in your lives, because of Christ within us, there's always hope. Or here's another one that I've used this week that I've probably quoted a hundred times or stated a hundred times within the past few years. Maybe your situation is with someone else. And that's where your anxiety, your frustration, your anger, your struggle is coming from. Are they a believer? Is it a believer that you're talking about? Well, yes. Okay, here's the quote. Never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit working in the life of another believer. In the same way that He is sanctifying you and growing you, He didn't do that immediately. It's a process. Jesus loves us enough to allow us to fall on our face. And he does that for other people as well. And it will disappoint you when they do because you will be the one that will be hurt because they fall on their face. You know what? He's still there with you. Pray for them. He's teaching them something right now. It's not all about you and it's not all about me. There's something bigger that's happening here. Never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit working in the life of another believer. We can have hope no matter what. And then I think about just this small church body, Sam, and we've talked about this. We've had pain. You know, this past year, it's not just COVID. I mean, we just there's been a lot of loss. There's been a lot of pain. There's been a lot of death. There's been little conflict, you know, here and there, and just um, painful times of confession with people, things that have been going on in their life. But even in the middle of that, to be able to experience peace, knowing that we have the God of the universe residing within us. A lot of words this morning. Probably too many words this morning. The only thing that you need to hear is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus comes to reside within us. You know, I remember um, early conversations with Frankie a year or so ago, and she said something like, I'm going to loose paraphrase Frankie, but she said something like, 
Like, I understand the Holy Spirit because he's been helping me, but I don't understand the Jesus side of things so much. And that turned into a greater conversation that it's all the same. The Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit are all of the same. The same Jesus who gave himself now comes to reside within you. And he's the one that's been walking with you. He's the one that's been comforting you. He's the one that's giving you hope in the midst of whatever you're going through. And he will continue to do so. And that's why Paul, when he finishes this passage, does what we must do, church. He praises God. Look at it. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, you were sealed with the, praise, uh, with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee, there's the guarantee word, of our inheritance we preached on a few weeks ago until we acquire possession of it, which is not today. And then He just says the praise of His glorious grace. To the praise of His glorious grace. God loves you. He loves me. I don't get it. I don't deserve it. He loves us. He comes to reside within us, to guide us, to direct us, to comfort us, to convict us, to challenge us, to mold us. He began a good work in us, and He says, I will bring it into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. It's the sealing, this guarantee of Christ's presence within us that is different than anything the world can give. And it's better than anything else that we can run after when we're struggling or we're sinning or we feel hopeless or helpless. Christ is there with us. Now let's just pray for a few moments. Allow, allow it to sink in and then we'll have a conversation. Father, sometimes I feel like I try to <laughs> use too many words and examples to make your word come alive to this church. Lord, I don't need that. They just need to see the truths of your word. And I just pray that they would sink in. Give us a hope right now, maybe that we did not have as we stepped into church. Lord, remind us of the hope that we have. Stir our hearts in the same way that you stirred my heart this week and brought tremendous conviction to me and then tremendous joy. Speak to your children, O oh God. And if there be any that do not know you, Lord, draw them to you again.